Hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day again. Uh, my name is Mark Schuler. I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here at Harvest, and uh, it's my pleasure to be able to open up God's Word with you and, and preach today, and so grateful to Pastor Tim and the elders for the opportunity. And uh, just wanted to mention, too, so Pastor Tim and Jana are on vacation this week with their two girls, and uh, if you just be praying for them for just much deserved, just rest, relaxation, recovery, and just a fun time together as a family. So they're traveling and just enjoying time together. So uh, he'll be back next week um, and uh, here in the pulpit, but I'll just be praying for him this week. So it is my uh, pleasure here then to be able to finish this three-week series that we've been doing called uh, Our Dwelling Place. And I want to start with asking you this question. Let me ask this to you. If you... If you had to pick a safe place where you could go and hide, where would that place be? Just think about that for a moment in your mind. Just the first thing that maybe comes to your mind of a safe place. Maybe, maybe you thought of like a, a storm shelter. Or maybe like a panic room, right? Those are kind of cool. Or maybe you thought of like inside a police station. I, I can remember even, we can think of a lot of places. I remember even as a a young boy at 10 years old, a safe place for me, a refuge was um, in a tree. We, we had this, this giant maple tree on the side of our house, and, and in the midst of chaos, I would kind of run up into the tree and get about halfway up with all the branches that would kind of cover you with their leaves and just kind of hide out there and uh, be there for a little bit, right? Well, listen, Psalm 91 is going to tell us today that... Uh, the safest place in the world to be is not in a shelter, in a panic room, in a police station, or in a tree. The safest place to be is in a shadow. It's in a shadow. Psalm 91.1, listen, says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You see, church, the place of security, the place of safety, the place of protection, the place of covering, the place of refuge is with our God. Our ultimate security, our absolute security is in our absolutely sovereign God. And so these past few weeks we've been in this series, Our Dwelling Place. Pastor Tim preached two parts of Psalm 90. And now I'll preach Psalm 91 as we look at what it means to make our all-present, all-powerful, trustworthy God our dwelling place. So grab your Bible now and go to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is where we're going to be. And uh, for many of you, maybe you know exactly where it is. Uh, this is maybe one of your top five psalms, you know. I think about uh, my top five, maybe Psalm 23. Psalm 34, Psalm 51, Psalm 103, and here in Psalm 91, just such great promises given to us. So, Psalm 91, if you're taking notes, here's our first point, trust, trust God is unchanging in his character. Trust God is unchanging in his character. As we get into this psalm now, you may ask yourself, well, who's the author of Psalm 91. Now some have said uh, Moses because he wrote Psalm 90 and some have guessed well this has kind of some of the language of King David 
And so maybe King David wrote this. But the truth is we're not uh, 100% certain who penned this psalm through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why in your Bible there isn't an author listed above verse 1. Okay, but I wanted to issue a little bit of a challenge as we head into this psalm here this morning that, that by the end of the psalm, you could say that you wrote the psalm. Now, not that you actually wrote it, but listen now, that you believe in it, that you're anchored in it, that you're trusting the God behind it. Not that you actually wrote the psalm, but look, that the psalm is written on you, that it's written on your heart. Let's pray and ask God to just seal this to our hearts as we get into verse 1. We just say that maybe in your own mind. God, seal this to my heart. God, seal these truths to my heart that they would, that they would bear fruit. They would stick and bear fruit unto worship for you that I would trust you. Now, here we go. Verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is a psalm of trust. In these verses, the psalmist is expressing his trust in God. In fact, this is cool here, before he declares his own, before he declares uh, the application to us, he's declaring his own faith here in the psalm. In fact, verse 2 really is the theme. Look at verse 2 for a second. It says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, my God in whom I trust, he's my God in whom I trust, I trust him, he's saying. The psalmist is affirming absolute security of all who put their trust in God. And so as the psalmist trusts God, he does so with with a view, with a focus on the unchanging character of God. In fact, as we walk these first two verses, you're going to see just even the names of God given in verses 1 and 2 encourage us to trust him. So let's look at these divine titles here as we walk this. He who dwells, we'll get back to that word in a minute, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Circle that, Most High. You're going to see four divine titles, four names of God here in these first two verses. He dwells in the shelter of the Most High. The name for God, this Most High, it's used here in verse 1 and also in verse 9. It's the Hebrew word, if you want to write this down, Elion. Elion is the Hebrew word. It's the the name of God here that focuses on divine sovereignty, God's power, his majesty over the whole world. Listen, no threat can overpower him. He is higher. He is the most high, higher than any false gods of the nations, higher than any false, false kings of the nations because he is the king of kings. He is supreme. He is in control. Keep walking the names in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of, here it is, the Almighty. There's the next name that you could circle there, the Almighty. This is the Hebrew word, uh, the Almighty here is the Hebrew word, you've probably heard this before, Shaddai. This is Shaddai, and this word emphasizes God's power. It pictures God here as the eternally active, self-sufficient one. From everlasting to everlasting, the God who is all-sufficient, who needs help from no one, 
who is, who is adequate for every situation. Listen, every difficult, challenging, dangerous, troublesome situation, even, listen, your situation. Nothing is too hard for him, the scripture proclaims. He is what? The most high. He is Elion. He, he is uh, almighty. He is Shaddai. God is awesome. God is unchanging in his character. Now let's flip here off the names for a second because as we walk these two verses, you're also going to see four uh, metaphors of security, kind of figures of security given here. Let's start in verse one. He who dwells in the, here it is, shelter. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And so maybe you just want to underline these metaphors. And so shelter here is a place of hiding, right? A place that we run to. A shadow, just think about a shadow, right? That's a place of covering, right? To be in, a, in the shadow of the Almighty. And so he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will be hidden with God, you see. He will be covered by God. These figures are illustrating protection and care and security in God. Look, um, God himself protects those who trust in him. Those who find their trust in him make the Lord their dwelling place. Remember Pastor Tim taught us this word dwell over the last couple weeks. And he who dwells, this word here means, right, to, to make a home with to live in, to find security in, to, to lean on, to, to rest in, this word dwell. Those who trust God fully dwell in God's shelter. They make a home with, they dwell in God's shelter, they abide in his shadow, they are secure in God the Most High, the Almighty. Church, God is who he says he is, and he does not change. He is awesome. He is unchanging. You can trust him. Verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now let's go to verse 2, and let's look at two more names of God here, and then two more metaphors that are given from the psalmist. So he says this now, I will say to the, what does it say there? Lord. So circle that. That's our third divine title here. I will say to the Lord. Right, the Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And so this is the Hebrew Yahweh, right? The, the covenant name, the, the personal name of God, the I am that I am, the covenant-keeping God who is faithful to all of his promises. I will say to Yahweh, I will say to the Lord, all right, get ready to underline, my, my refuge and my fortress, there's the two more metaphors there, refuge and fortress. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. You see what the psalmist does there from verse 1 to verse 2? Did you catch it? He went from the he who dwells, right, to the what? To the I and the my. This is the personal application. I will say to the Lord, I will say to Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress Refuge is just a place of security. 
And fortress, you could say it like this, it's a stronghold protecting from attack. Right? A stronghold protecting us from attack. So I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. He goes on to say, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God. There's the fourth title. Go ahead and circle that. God. My God in whom I trust. My God in whom I trust. This is the Hebrew now. This, this word God is the Hebrew Elohim. Elohim. It refers to the supreme God who is the creator. All right, God is the strong one. God is the mighty leader. God's greatness surpasses more than we could even imagine. God is. And so, could you say that today like the psalmist did? Could you say it like he did? You are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my God in whom I trust. You are my God. You are my God in whom I trust. That's what it means to dwell. That's what it means to dwell. You are my refuge and my fortress. I will say this to the Lord. You are my refuge and my fortress. You are my God in whom I trust. Yes, trials and persecutions will come. Obstacles and struggles will come. But you can trust in God. You can trust him. He is unchanging. He is trustworthy. He is what? The most high. He is the almighty. He is the Lord. He is God. He is my God in whom I trust Listen to this uh, precious story I read this week. This was kind of fitting uh, for Father's Day, I guess. And uh, it says this, I quote, About a month ago, I bought my two-year-old daughter, a Sarah, an aquarium. This was in a b- book I was reading. It says, We went together to uh, the pet store to pick out four fish to put in the tank. Well, this morning, Sarah found one of the fish dead. She found it caught up in one of those fake plastic bushes. My wife called me at the office and said that Sarah had something to tell me. In her two-year-old way, she explained to me the fish had died. She found it in the bushes, and she and Mommy were going to have a funeral for it in the backyard. I realized at that moment that this would be the first of many losses that she would experience in life, and my heart broke, and I began to tear up. Just then, Sarah said one last thing to me before she hung up the phone. She said, Daddy, keep me from getting caught up in the bushes. So I lovingly said back to her, I I will the best I can, Sarah, but listen, God will, and he always will at his very best. It's a sweet story, but listen, that's a prayer that you can sincerely pray to God, your daddy, your father. Father in heaven, keep me from getting caught in the bushes. Father in heaven, keep me, what, from all harm. God, keep me from all harm. And look, however God chooses to answer that, God hears. And however he chooses to answer that, you can trust him. Why? Because he is unchanging in his character. He is unchanging. You can trust him. 
I wrote this down. God's love does not change. It's from everlasting to everlasting. God's truth does not change. It is forever settled in the heavens. God's purposes do not change. The Lord is not a man that he should repent. God's Son does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's character does not change. You can trust him completely. God is trustworthy. Maybe just say that. God is trustworthy. You did not convince me. Say that again. God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. You see four figures of security, four names of God. And this is so powerful. As we just say this back, just think of this. Look, he is the most high. He is the almighty. He is the Lord and God. He he is my shelter. He is my shadow. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. This is powerful, man. He is the most high, the almighty Lord God, my shelter, my shadow, my refuge, my fortress. This psalm is a powerful psalm with phenomenal truths in here that we need to hold on to. Because even in the difficulty and the dangers and the troublesome life, the circumstances that surround us, God is still unchanging. This is still who he is. He does not change. He is God. Trust him. He is unchanging in his character. Here's point two. Trust. God is unfailing in his protection. Trust. God is unfailing in his protection. Someone once said uh, this quote, plagues and deaths around me fly Till God pleases, I cannot die. Plagues and deaths around me fly. Till God pleases, I cannot die. And church, that's the heart of these 11 verses now that make up the middle section of this psalm. Okay, that not only is God the one in whom we must dwell in, but that also God is able to divinely rescue and protect us in these dangerous and troublesome times. So as the psalmist continues here, okay, there's another shift that he's going to make. So he went from the he in verse 1 to the I and the my in verse 2. And now in verse 3, he's going to say, he's going to go to the you in verses 3 to 13. Okay, and so notice the shift here. And so let's just march through each of these verses here. We'll go 3 to 13. I'm going to start up in verse 2 because I want you to see the turn in the way that he speaks. I will say to the Lord... My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will deliver you. God will deliver us. This really is a theme of so many Psalms, the idea of deliverance. David used this word all the time. Right? This, this idea of deliver me from my enemies, O oh God. Deliver me from those who come against me and who, who come against you, O oh God. This idea of deliverance. And so in verse 3, this is a picture here now. Right? The psalm is full of metaphors here. And so verse 3 is a picture of being delivered from a, a dangerous hunter that stalks its prey. Also being delivered from a plague 
that seeks to destroy uh, your life. Right? So he says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. God can deliver us both from evil men and life-threatening disease. God's protection is unfailing. Remember the quote, plagues and deaths around me fly. Till God pleases, I cannot die. And so God is our deliverer. Let's go down to to verse 4. Just keep walking these here. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So God is not a bird, right? We know that. Again, a metaphor, again, describing uh, things that God does here. And so here he's, the psalmist is comparing God's protection of us to what? A, a mother bird protecting its own, its young. And so he says, God will deliver you, or God will uh, cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Probably not something you prayed this week. God, cover me with your pinions. Uh, pinions, though, are the outer portion of the, the bird's wings. Okay, so he's saying, cover me. He will cover you with his, with his wings, right? Poetically showing us how God covers us up and protects us. The metaphors continue <clears throat> when he says his faithfulness. So the faithfulness of God is a shield. The idea there is a large shield and a, a buckler, right? Probably not something you prayed again this week. God, thank you for your faithfulness. It is like a buckler to me. But the idea of a buckler, it's a, it's a small handheld shield, so it's mobile. You could take it with you. You can walk around with it. And so the idea here is that his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. God will, what, he'll cover believers with his strong wings, is the metaphor, and, and protect his own like what? A faithful warrior. God will protect his own like a faithful warrior. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, right? His protection of us, he's saying, it's unfailing, it's unfailing. These are the things God will do. Verses five and six. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. So this is confidence. This is trust. Our confidence in God brings a settled peace into our lives, even when circumstances are what? They're swirling about and around us. The psalmist will not fear, he's saying, when he's vulnerable. When He's not going to fear weapons that could attack him by the day. He he won't fear in the dark. He won't fear in the daylight. He will trust God, he's saying. You can trust God. Because God is his trust, because he has made the Lord his dwelling place, his confidence in God, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, God will protect him. You can trust God like that too. He is unfailing. He is unfailing in his protection. Verses 7 and 8. I love these verses. He goes on to say, a thousand may fall at your right, or a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. 
you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Trouble may be all around you, but God sovereignly secures us. This is divine help. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. God is so aware. God has control over what comes into our life. He has control over the things that what? Touch us or don't touch us as his own. And he will protect us. He is not uncaring. He is not unaware. He is sovereign. He is near. He knows even when two birds fall to the ground, how much more does he care for you, Jesus described. And in his time, perfectly, righteously, holy justice will come. Justice is coming in God's timing and in his perfect way. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. He is perfectly just. Nothing has got away from him. He has it all in hand. And I want you to see this as we cover verses 9 to 13. I want to cover 9 to 13 all together. And I want to start in verse 9. Verse 9 again is kind of a recap of verses 1 and 2 where he says, because you have made the Lord your, what does it say there? Dwelling place. There it is. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, the most high who is my refuge. He goes on to say, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. As I trust in God, as I make God my dwelling place, as I make my home in him, as I live in him, as I rest in him, as I lean on him, verse 10 says, no evil shall be allowed to befall you and no plague come near your tent. As I trust in God, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Now you may be saying, what? No evil shall be allowed to befall you. You may say, I think I need some explanation because I get verses 11 to 13, where where God does send angelic protection. God commands his angels to protect us. He brings his angels to what? Minister to those who will inherit salvation. And so verse 11 and 12, for he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You're like, all right, I got that. Beautiful picture of God sending out angelic protection. And I I got verse 13 here, which tells us God gives us protection and victory even over small enemies or great enemies. When he says, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample under foot. But back to verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Does Psalm 91 mean 
that those who trust in God won't be ambushed, will never get a disease, won't die in battle, won't experience any evil, won't lose friends to sickness, won't crash against a stone, but will always and forever be delivered and protected here on earth. Well, clearly not, that's, that's not the meaning. What about the apostles, right? Martyred. What about Jim Elliot, the great uh, missionary to Ecuador? Killed. What about Cassie Bernal at Columbine? What about Todd Beamer, who on September 11th was on Flight 93, that the terrorists crashed in Pennsylvania? He was a believer in Jesus Christ. He was only 32. So clearly Psalm 91 does not mean that New Testament believers, right, those of us in Christ here, that, that will never suffer and die. So that's not the meaning. And so does Psalm 91 then just apply to Old Testament believers? No. Psalm 44 tells us they were killed and regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11 in that same chapter that some escaped the sword, but others were what? They were killed with the sword. Does this then maybe just apply to Jesus? And everybody said, no. (laughs) He felt the worst of it. Tortured. Hung up on a cross and crucified. So clearly not. So what is all this in Psalm 91? As I was studying this week, I read a short little clip from John Piper on this, and I wanted to just share this with you. I I think this is helpful, and so I'm going to quote him now. He says in a little article here, this this is powerful, he said, I quote, One great caution is not to use the psalm the way that Satan used it. He told Jesus to count on the deliverance promised to the godly in this psalm. And so quoting Psalm 91, 11, and 12, Satan says to Jesus, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Matthew 4, 6, quoting Psalm 91. Piper goes on to say, But you see, instead of following Satan's use, of Psalm 91, Jesus, what? He embraced the path of suffering. The thorns penetrated his scalp. The whip lacerated his back. The rod struck his head. The nails pierced his hands. The spear severed his side. And he was killed by his enemies. So clearly, the seemingly face value meaning of Psalm 91 did not come true for the most godly person that ever lived, end quote. So what's up, right? Was the psalmist just naive? Answer, no. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He stands with the rest of Scripture. And so here's what he's saying. This is it. That often God does amazingly deliver us from suffering and death when others around us are falling. God does do that. Praise God that God does deliver us from suffering and death, amazingly does that when others around us are falling. And who knows? Church, only heaven will be able to tell all of the times 
that the unseen, loving, sovereign, all-powerful hand of God has protected you from something and guarded you from something. You had no idea what it was, but there's God in the midst of it all. But we can't miss this. That sometimes God does, in his sovereignty and for his eternal purposes, allow his children to suffer. Sometimes God does allow that. In his divine sovereignty, for his eternal purposes that we don't always fully understand, but he allows his children to suffer. And of course, even at some point, for all of us to die physically. But look, here's the thing. This is what you need to write down. He forbids that any suffering would hurt us in the end. That's it. He forbids that any suffering that you would go through would hurt you in the end. In that way, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. That's the eternal perspective. That's the big God picture. That's the confidence that we have in our God. That whatever happens to you, you are safe in him. It's, Col- it's Colossians 3.3. You are hidden with Christ in God. He forbids that any suffering would hurt us in the end. Look, God cares for you. God rules over you. God is sovereign and near to you. You can fully put your hope in him that whatever he allows to come into your life, whatever he protects you from, whatever happens, God has you. God has you. Say that. God has me. And we, we got to learn to preach to ourselves, right? When our mind begins to go off of truth, God has me. God has me. God has me. And that's why it says in Psalm 34, 19, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. It's why Jesus can say to us in the same chapter in Luke 21, You look it up today, he says that some of you they will put to death. A few verses later, but not a head of your head, not a hair of your head will perish. Same chapter. Look, God has a plan and God has it in his hand. He has it. And listen, God is completely good. God is completely good. God is not evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil, James 1. God is completely good. He makes what is good. But God allows for evil, and he disallows evil. But in it all, he's in control. He's good. He's on his throne. Evil, in this way, church, can't just simply befall you. Not going to happen. God's hedge of protection surrounds you. Nothing comes up under that protection but that God allows. Nothing breaks through that wall but that God allows in your life. And so look, when you look around this world, and it's pretty easy to do, when you look around this world, and sometimes you may think to yourself, man, evil seems to be everywhere. It seems to be winning. Take heart. Because Jesus has overcome the world. 
Take heart because with Christ, in the end, listen now, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Verse 8. Phenomenal truth. That's the eternal perspective. That you are under the loving, wise, sovereign care of God. Always, forever, completely, eternally, His. A believer by the name of Frederick Nolan was fleeing from his enemies during a time of persecution in North Africa. He was pursued by them on foot over hill and valley, and with no ability to outrun them, he fell into a wayside cave, expecting his enemies to find him soon. Awaiting his death, he saw a spider weaving a web. Within minutes, the little bug had woven a beautiful web across the mouth of the cave. The pursuers arrived and wondered if Nolan was hiding in there. But on seeing the unbroken and unmangled spider web, they thought it must have been impossible for him to be in there. And so they went on, and Nolan escaped. Afterwards, Nolan recorded these words, Where God is, a spider's web is like a wall. And where God is not, a wall is like a spider's web. Gosh, I love that. Where God is, a spider's web is like a wall. Where God is not, a wall is like a spider's web. God's protection is unfailing. God will protect his own. My life is immortal until my work on earth is done. And God will keep me and he will deliver me until what? He's ready to receive me. And the believer gets to stand back then and watch. Not by anything that we've done, but by what? The perfect sacrifice of Christ and our faith on him. The believer stands back and watches as God one day in righteous, holy judgment recompenses or pays back or punishes the wicked. For the believer, we say it a lot. We have a magnet on our fridge. We have it on the wall of our house, but the truth is the truth. For the believer, all things really do work together for good. God is for us, so no one can be against us. God is for us, and so Paul said it like this, then to live is Christ and what? To die is actually gain. Spurgeon once said it like this. I'm going to quote him, and this kind of sums up these verses. He says it like this, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is not ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him, for everything is overruled for good. Happy is he Who is in such a case? He is secure where others are in peril. He lives where others die. Church, for the wicked is not so. They they are like chaff that the wind drives away, Psalm 1. The way of the wicked will perish. But we, what? We trust. We trust in the unchanging character of God, in the unfailing 
protection of God. And now our final point. We trust God is unwavering in his promises. God is unwavering in his promises. Verses 14 to 16. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Did you see it? Did you hear it? The the psalm now makes this huge and sudden shift. Everybody just go, whoa. Whoa. It's huge. You see it? This is great. The psalm now, it goes from the psalmist speaking to the Lord himself speaking. Isn't that cool? The first part of the psalm, you've got the psalmist trust, verses 1 and 2. The middle section, 3 to 13, now you've got the psalmist teaching. And now here, the third section of the psalm gives us the Lord's promises to us. This is God now speaking. These are incredible promises to know, to count on, to trust in. Right? God never gives his children a promise that he doesn't intend to keep. And so what does he say? Let's look through these verses here and look at the deep fellowship here between God and his child. Look at the fellowship as as we look through these verses that are saturated with his promises. The first thing he says is, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will deliver him. Because he holds fast to me in love. That word love there. It means a deep longing. It's a clinging to God. It kind of implies passion as well. And so here you have have a passion for God and and deep longing. You're clinging to him. You're holding fast to him. Do you have a passion for God? Do you have a strong passion to know him, to love him, to serve him, to live for him? It says that he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. He goes on to say, I will protect him because he knows my name. I will protect him because he knows my name. Those who know God are protected. They are in God's hand and nothing could ever pluck you out of God's hand. What a promise. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. When he calls to me, I will answer him. Is that not comforting to hear God say that to us as his children? This is a promise, man. We have a God who hears. We have a God who responds to us as we cry out, as we call unto God. The Israelites said in Deuteronomy with amazement, who is a God like this that every time we would call upon him, he is so near. God hears us. God responds Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And so what? The believer knows God by name personally. He holds fast to him in love. He cries out to him in prayer. Does that describe your relationship with God? 
that you know him by name personally, that you hold fast to your God in love, that you cry out to your God in prayer. God says back to his people, I will deliver him, I will protect him, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him and honor him with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What incredible promises. You can trust in the unwavering promises of God. And sometimes people say what they say, I I have a hard time hearing God. God does speak. And the voice of God can be clearly heard through the pages of Scripture. Are you hearing him in Psalm 91? Are you hearing him? I will deliver him. I will protect him. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Look, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you have every reason to fear both now and forevermore. But you can put your trust in Christ today because if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there really is no good reason for us to fear over anything. Which is why Paul says in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. So if you've not made that decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day. Trust in Jesus. Trust. He loves you. You can trust in God's unchanging character. You can trust in God's unfailing protection. You can trust in God's unwavering promise. Make the Lord your dwelling place. Make the Lord your dwelling place. I want to close with this, that I was reading a story that back when the Golden Gate Bridge uh, was being assembled, uh, there were several uh, workmen who lost their lives falling from the high construction positions, right? It's a world-famous bridge. We all pretty much know it. Now listen to this. It's, It's 746 feet high, right? and 8,981 feet in total length. It's huge. But because of the fear of death now, that work was, being, was horribly behind schedule as they were rolling it all out. That was until someone came up with the great idea to put a safety net underneath the construction point, right, so that if people fell, they'd be caught. And so this net allowed the workers then to go up there with courage, with confidence, get the work done, knowing that if they slipped, they had a a net that would catch them and spare their life. Now, Now, this was the same effect that God's character, God's protection, and God's promises had on the psalmist. And this, this is the same effect that it should have on us, that our security church is not in a net below us. What? It's in the most high God above us. The Lord is our sovereign security. And so you can walk with confidence and courage all the days that God gives you. And you can experience freedom from overwhelming doubt and from paralyzing fear. Make the Lord your dwelling place. Trust in God's unchanging character. Trust in God's unfailing protection. Trust in God's unwavering promises. Is God your dwelling place. I issued a challenge at the beginning of the psalm, and so I ask you again, is this psalm now your psalm? Do you believe it? 
Are you anchored in it? Is it written on your heart? Is it sealed to your heart, these truths? Let's pray now and ask the God who hears us and who answers to make it so.